Open your Bibles, please, to the book of the Revelation, chapter 16. We left off there before Christmas as we covered the Great Tribulation. And now we come to an event we often talk about sort of separate from the Great Tribulation, but really it is the summation of the Great Tribulation, and that is the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon brings the tribulation to an end and opens the door for the Lord's second coming to this earth to establish his millennial kingdom. And so let's consider this Battle of Armageddon and what the Bible says. So we're going to read here in chapter 16. And then we are going to move forward to chapter 19 and read a bit more. So look at chapter 16 and verse number 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. In other words, unexpectedly. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So between the sixth and the seventh uh, bowl judgment is really when Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon takes place. So there it's introduced. Now look forward uh, to Revelation chapter number 19. I'll begin reading in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Well, we know this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the truth. Verse uh, 12. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. I'll just pause and give you a little uh, interesting tidbit. This word crown, there are two different words in the Greek language translated crown in our New Testament. One is this victor's crown. It's the crown given like at an athletic contest. It would be a a wreath of vine uh, and it would show accomplishment or victor. But the second crown, that's the stephanos. The second crown is diadema or diadem. And it is a crown of royalty. And so this is describing that Christ has upon his head many crowns of royalty. In other words, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. As Philippians 2 says, every knee shall bow and acknowledge that he is the king. And so that's what this is communicating to us. He's coming. He is coming in judgment, flame of fire. He's coming in holiness And he is coming in his sovereignty uh, with many crowns. 
Verse 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath, of the wrath, uh, fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And then that worshiped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So the passage in Revelation is sort of inserted parenthetically between the sixth and seventh vile or bold judgments and reminds us that as the tribulation moves on, there is greater and greater and greater and more severe judgments. First, the seal judgments. And just because it's been several weeks, Uh, Let me remind you, they included bloodshed or will include bloodshed, famine, death, and economic upheaval, giant earthquake, and disturbances in the atmosphere. That's all found in Revelation chapter 6. Then the trumpet judgments, which include hail and fire mixed with blood, the sea turning to blood, water turning bitter or poisonous, undrinkable, Uh, Further disturbances in the atmosphere, affliction by these demonic scorpions, and the death of one-third of all the population on the earth. That's Revelation chapter 8, verse 6 through chapter 9, verse 21. Then come the bold judgments. There are three sets of seven judgments. The bold judgments now come. They include these extremely painful sores on mankind more bodies of water turning to blood, the death of all sea creatures, people being scorched by the sun. You've ever been sunburned. Imagine what that would be like. Total darkness engulfing the land and a devastating earthquake and a few other things that I did not mention. That's found in Revelation chapter 16. And all of that devastation and all of that judgment with its growing intensity, comes to this climax in, uh, that we're talking about tonight. Uh, these traumatized humans who have endured all of that now are engaged in this massive 
a world war called the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, Ar means hill or mountain, and so it is the mountain of Megiddo. So it is Armageddon. Uh, the Valley of Megiddo is a place that you can visit on an Israel trip today. Uh, and, and you can see how it makes this massive battlefield. It opens up the, this huge panorama. But the word Armageddon also means the mount or mountain of slaughter. This area is in northern Palestine near the Mediterranean Sea. And so if you stand on Mount Carmel, you can look one direction. To the west, you see the Mediterranean Sea. If you look to the east, you see this massive valley opening up before you. Napoleon, the great French general, called it the greatest natural battlefield in the world. Though the main battle that this is, that's being described here takes place in this valley, the Bible says in Revelation 14 that the armies are going to cover a massive area of Palestine, an area 1,600 furlongs, which would be about 320 kilometers uh, from north to south. So you can, in your mind, visualize this massive battlefield as the armies from the north come down, the armies of the east cross over the Euphrates River, which is dried up back in one of the trumpet or bowl judgments to make it easy for the armies to come in. The Euphrates is really the dividing line between the Palestinian land or the land of Israel and the armies of the east that will be coming in. Uh, Charles Ryrie put it this way, and just to be uh, concise, I, I want to read a paragraph to you. He said, to review... Before the middle of the tribulation, the Western ruler, Antichrist, keeps a treaty with Israel. Uh, he invades and conquers Egypt. At, the point, at that point, the armies from the north uh, will invade and overrun Palestine. And when all appears hopeless for both the Antichrist and Israel, God will step in supernaturally and destroy the northern armies. This will give the man of sin a free hand to break his covenant with Israel, to set himself up to be worshipped, and to try and conquer the world. So this, all that's gone on in the book of Revelation is coming to this great apex, this mounting uh, event called the Battle of Armageddon. But there's something to keep in mind. It is a battle that's beginning that whose outcome is certain. God will be victorious. Not going into an army wondering who's going to win. Not going into this army wondering what's going to be the outcome. As we read Revelation 19, we read about the Lord coming on a white horse. And you and I, who've been raptured out, if you're saved, uh, will be coming with the Lord riding white horses. So if you've never ridden a horse, you might want to go practice. A remnant of Jewish people will reject the Antichrist. They'll refuse to take the mark of the beast. And Revelation 13, 15, why don't you turn back there, tells you or tells us that anyone found without the mark of the beast will be killed. 
Revelation 13, 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak, both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. All throughout human history, God's people, the Jews, have faced persecution, oppression, and death. But this time, biblically, is described as a time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of it. God will deliver his people who remain faithful to him. So all the major armies of the world will be gathered to battle in this little postage stamp piece of land, the land of Palestine or the land of present day Israel, all for one reason. The final, their goal is the final extermination of the Jews. It's, it's way beyond what Adolf Hitler aspired to do back in the 40s, which was horrendous. And it baffles me how somebody can so believe uh, that that was, that that never did happen, that the Holocaust is just a publicity scheme. It's amazing. But, but God intervenes and protects his people. And the Bible says in Revelation 19 that we read, that the Lord will destroy his enemies with the word of his mouth. That's a phenomenal thought, folks. You know, in our modern world today, they talk about these amazing weapons of warfare, nuclear weapons, and so on and so on, and how many, you know, uh, megatons of destruction they're capable of, but God uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, with the word of his mouth, shall destroy his enemies. Remember Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Never minimize the power of the word of God. Uh, we have a man in our service tonight, came to church a week ago Sunday, Pastor Eli preached the word of God, uh, Continue to work that was done by personal discussion with others. And uh, on the fall, one week ago today, he put his trust in Jesus Christ. Why? The power of the word of God penetrated to his heart and he recognized his need for Christ. So it appears in the reading of Hebrews 19 that we're not battling with the Lord because the Bible talks about his garments being stained with blood, Hebrews 19, verse 13, but how ours uh, will be clothed in fine linen, uh, meaning there's not a spot. Christ does the battling. And uh, the saints are just uh, following because of who he is, but he wages warfare and he completes the final stages of the battle. And then that ending of chapter 19 describes the carnage on the battlefield and how the birds of prey, the vultures, come in for a feast on the carcasses 
of the slain. Look at verse 17 again. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Matthew 24 verse 27 says, for as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so also, uh, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And so during this bloody devastation uh, of the battle of Armageddon, the, the blood of the slain will be so deep that as the horses prance through the puddles, the blood will splash up even to the horse's bridle. Uh, you can see that back in chapter 14 and verse number 20. Verse 19, the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So this 320-kilometer battlefield north to south is going to be so saturated with blood uh, of all these slain by the word of his mouth that the blood will splash up to the bridle. And yet the remnant of the nation of Israel begins cleaning up the sanctuary of the Lord that was desecrated by the Antichrist. Remember Daniel and his prophecy and revelation go together? Well, turn back to Daniel chapter number 8. Daniel chapter 8. And look down at verse number 13. The Holy Spirit had the prophet Daniel write, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And so at the end of this uh, final week of God's judgment, uh, the, the remnant of the Jews shall be uh, cleaning up the sanctuary so that God can be worshiped in a rightful way. So just to give you an overview of the battle of Armageddon, what's going to happen? As the Lord comes down from heaven on a white horse and destroys his enemies, the armies of the south will be destroyed. The armies of the northern confederacy will be thoroughly defeated. The armies of the beast and of the east will also be defeated by the Lord. And it will end in chapter 19, verse number 20, with the beast 
and the false prophet being cast into the lake of fire. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both, both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. The unbelievers will be purged out of Israel. Zechariah the prophet wrote in chapter 13 verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. Talking about how Israel will be preserved, but the unbelievers will be cast out. Believers will have been purged through these invasions. Zechariah continues to say, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined. And will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people. And they shall say the Lord is my God. What a wonderful day that will be. God vindicates his own. The unbelievers will be judged. The believers will be brought through. And there will be a wonderful uh, recognition of that fact of testimony they, they, God says, these are mine. And they say, the Lord is my God. And then uh, next week, we'll talk about the going into God, the Lord establishing the millennial reign. Uh, but in chapter 20, verse 1, just as a bit of a preview, says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, which bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. You know, sometimes we get overwhelmed with the evil in this world. It looks like Satan is winning. And look at how all these uh, ungodly things are going on. But folks, never forget, it's only for a brief time. Satan will be cast aside. He has no control over a believer. And as we allow the Spirit of God to operate in our lives, we can be victorious over sin. We can be useful to the Lord because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we see that the Lord ultimately will destroy every enemy that would challenge his right and authority to rule as the king of kings, as the Messiah, as the ruler over all, the, all of his creation. And so just as a summary thought here, and that is this, you know, sometimes as we study prophecy, we forget that as the old preacher said, we're on the winning side. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal savior, the tribulation, as awful as it is, has no impact on you. We will be out of here. Whether we die and we are in the presence of the Lord or we're raptured, we don't go through the tribulation. Uh, along with several other doctrines, I think uh, a mid-trib position and a post-trib position 
Uh, both are just awful because uh, the Bible talks about how the Lord delivers his church from this judgment. So uh, it, it's, we're not going to be impacted. The battle of Armageddon is nothing to fear. It's nothing to uh, wring our hands over because we're coming with the victorious king of kings who has so many crowns on his head. All we will want to do is bow and worship him. He is the deliverer. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father and he is the prince of peace. And next week, uh, not next week, but two weeks, as we go into our next uh, study, uh, we see how he's bringing in a thousand year rule of perfect judgment and perfect peace, a fulfillment of Isaiah 9, chapter 6. And we can say, thank God, what a day that will be. You know, today we're constantly confronted with our enemy, the devil. He'll be bound. He'll be gone. He'll have no influence in that day. And what a wonderful, wonderful time that will be.